Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. From backyard plinking to serious training to big game hunting, Airguns.com has what you need. Umarex offers the most diverse lineup of air guns from traditional BB and pellet guns to cutting edge rifles that fire, get this, 50 caliber slugs or even broadhead tipped arrows. Umarex air guns has led the way with innovative products designed to get the job done. Whether you're hunting whitetails, feral hogs, iguanas, squirrels, rabbits, or even elk or bison, umarexairguns.com is your source for the best air-powered rifles and pistols. Visit umarexairguns.com today. That's umarexairguns.com. On X Hunt Elite is worth every penny. It really is. Every hunt, every planning session, every gear purchase, I was on it already today. With your Elite membership, you will get application and draw odd tools, exclusive pro deals on gear from the industry's best, exclusive mapping and scouting tools, and last but not least, access to nationwide coverage. And now Canada. On X Hunt Elite will make you more successful on your next hunt. Try On X Hunt free for seven days. Or go to onxmaps.com slash hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new Elite membership. Thanks for tuning in to the Meat Eater podcast. We're recording right now out of Bozeman, Montana, specifically out of uh, the spacious, palatial rental home of Dan Doty. <laughs> Dan has a lookout tower. We're in his basement many floors below his lookout tower, <laughs> which looks out over irrigated pasture, chickens, Ducks, ducks, fowl. Um, in the kitchen right now, he's prepping up some of his homegrown chickens. He, uh, to everyone that comes in, he marvels about their size and robustness. They're really big chickens, <laughs> really big, huge chickens. This is like a homecoming for me because years ago, I lived in Montana for a long time, about a decade, and for a short spell, I lived here in Bozeman, and we rented. Uh, my brother and I were living in a trailer park, in that trailer park, like inspires certain images in a person's mind but this guy owned his trailer park you know rock have you guys heard of rocky creek yeah he put trailers on his trailer park at about the same spacing that they put golf greens on a golf course i mean it was like paradise and it came with private access what to rocky creek really Dude, there was like, it was a giant place. And yeah, I think there was like 13 trailers on it. What is it now? Is it still there? I have no idea. I always want to go look. The go nicest guy, out. he drove around in a golf cart. All this dude did was mow grass and had this creek. We uh, picked fairy ring mushrooms off the property. We would shoot our bow in our own little area. He's like, oh, if you boys really want to have a good place to shoot. And like, we had a little shooting area. And we'd explore that creek with fly rods. But if you really wanted to get an accurate idea of what was going on there, you'd run a leaf worm through that thing and turn up a whole other class of fish out of there. No, it was a great trailer park. It didn't make any... Like, I don't know. I never got into this guy's books. It made no sense that he was running it as a trailer park. 
Where from town is that? Where is that creek? You know, it's at that. It's right by. It's out by the. Um, what's that good breakfast place out by the slaughter yard or the sale yard? The stockyard. Stockyard. Cafe. Yeah, Rocky Creek. <clears throat> but you, you know why it was the way it was? Trucks ripping down out of Bozeman Pass hit the Jake brakes. They basically know to hit the Jake brakes at me and Matt's trailer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like you got used to it after a while. Um. Living there, I found out why they call them Jake Brakes. It's a compression brake made by Jacob Industries in Pennsylvania. Do you guys already know that? Yeah. Really? Also known Good as the you. engine brake. I drove dump, dump truck for a number of years Oh, when I was a kid. So you've thrown a Jake brake. I've, probably, you've I've probably, thrown, blown, you've probably yeah. blown past my trailer with a Jake If brake. I would have <laughs> drove down that hill and I saw your trailer, I would have hit the Jake brake. I'm like, that's Ranella. He gets the Jake. Um, all right, we're not going to be talking about trailer parks. <laughs> what we are talking about is... Uh, the science and lore and bullshit involved with filming <laughs> art too. The science, art, lore, and bullshit of filming hunts. And this is something like I hear about. I hear about in, in different ways from, from people who ask questions all the time. They'll ask, how do you get into that line of work, right? So people will see, like, like there's a lot of guys out there who are like, man, you know, I like to film hunts. Why can't, why don't I film hunts for a living? Or, is it different hunting? Like, do you miss hunting without cameras? Or people just having technical questions about filming hunts? Or, um, I feel like there's other ors. Well, there's a lot. I mean, there's a million questions. And then there's just when you watch and see that people could do, if, if you're so inclined to film your hunt for memory's sake or for whatever, things that one should be doing to do a better job. You know, you see endless articles about how to take good grip and grins in magazines. You don't see much about like just sort of like capturing yeah. film on hunts. Like how to B-roll footage. Yeah. No one talks about, no one ever wrote an article about that. that I think I it's of. interesting now. Well, I, let me introduce you. Okay. Um, I'm here with media producer, Giannis Putellis. Also, director and producer Dan Doty. These guys are both based here out of Bozeman at ZPZ West. Um, Casey Levere from Hush. Is, is it Hushin or Hush? Because it used to be Hushin. Yeah. Hush, I see your, your cap there. Hush is the merch line. Hushin is the, the uh, YouTube page, which is hunt slash fishing. Hushin. Yeah. So it'd be like New Balance and New Bell. Yeah, <laughs> a lot like that. So explain it again. Hushin is the, Hushin is your your humongous YouTube channel. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's humongous, but it's our. But just lay lay a couple of credentials out. We've got. I mean, a, it's a big YouTube. Like you do like a yeah, big. I mean, we you do a big brisk YouTube business in show. the hunting industry. In in the, hunting yeah, industry. yeah. The, the hunting channel. I run a couple different YouTube channels. I have a personal uh, family channel we run. That's very successful. We've got over 500,000 subscribers, almost to hit 100 million views. And then the Hunting Channel is doing really well, and it's got, what, 85? Hunting and fishing. Hunting and fishing. Hence. Outdoor cooking. Hushing. Hushing. 85 what? 85,000 subscribers. Okay. And then we're almost going to hit 10 million views, which, I mean, when I started this four years ago, my brother was the one that convinced me to do this because... He was doing YouTube full-time back then, and he's like, why don't you make a hunting channel on YouTube? I'm like, that is not the audience that's on YouTube. We're on the internet, really. Yeah. So it was a hard game at first, but now there's, it's opening up, and other people are starting to put content on there and, 
and I think more and more hunters and fishermen are knowing that they can watch stuff on there so it's done well so i mean compared to some of the giant youtube channels it doesn't seem like a lot but for what we're trying to do it, it's done really well yeah yeah and uh yeah we're excited and then chaster the molester yeah <laughs> <laughs> he really drives a van i wish i had a van eric, eric chester eric chester <laughs> eric chester and not chester not chester but everyone wants to make it chester. everyone wants just to put they want to do there. they want to do what i just did i could spell it out for him with two s's and they'll somehow put a t in there and, and how, how do you, uh, what's your affiliation? Well, it's pretty cool how Casey and I met. We actually met at the big Western and uh, Western Hunting and Conservation Expo in Salt Lake. And I was making films and DVDs and some YouTube films um, before I met Casey, and he introduced himself to me. And uh, Hunting he, films and DVDs. Hunting films, hunting DVDs, shed hunting. Um, yeah, anything we can get out there and film. And uh, he introduced himself to me as a YouTuber. And it just blew me away that he did YouTube videos. I really didn't understand it. And um, since then, we've just kind of partnered up and did some collaborative hunts together. And gotcha. now we're working together. Are you still doing DVDs? No. No more DVDs right now. We're just going to, we're committed to YouTube, and then that's the direction we're going. Gotcha. It's hard to sell a DVD these days, isn't it? It is. I think DVD sales are going down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, See, we're still putting everything out on cassette. Yeah, <laughs> let's go VHS on the high, on the high eight. Yeah. Dude, you want to know something like like a, like this sort of uh, apocryphal? Is that the, is that a word? Yeah, it is an apocryphal story. I'm mean, like to date myself, not to go on dates myself, but to date like my era when I was born. I remember being in a class in college at Lake State University, and it would have been 1994. And I was in his communications class, okay? And it was like, one of the things you had to do is you had to make a persuasion speech, okay? And I remember a dude getting up there and saying, man, you should be getting rid of your tapes because CDs are where it's at. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't, the tape don't break. <laughs> yeah. And being there, I am like, I don't know, man. That was a potent argument in favor of CDs. <laughs> I'm switching. <laughs> It seemed like such a risk back then to give up those those cassettes for this new thing, right? Oh, are you guys old enough man. to have had cassettes, dude? I remember my I, I would say I was in fifth grade, but it might have been like sixth or seventh. I had a, a yellow Walkman, and these were like really popular. I feel like oh yeah, man, and you could like put them under the water, like hard hat yellow, yeah, yeah, and it had this, and yeah, it was a cassette, and I, that, I I listened to that thing for like three years, like New Kids on the Block. Crisscross. You guys remember these guys? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Yeah, so, yeah. I'll tell you the first tape I ever owned. Oh, this is way off subject. The first tape I ever owned was the Ghostbusters soundtrack. <laughs> really? Yeah. Mine was Achy Breaky Heart. <laughs> <laughs> I think I owned that same cassette at one point. I might still have it. So, you, uh, you self-identify as a YouTuber. I do. I mean... So, you're like... But when I think of a YouTuber, I think of people who do unboxing videos, which I discovered through my kids. You know, that's like watch the, a video of someone taking a toy out of a box that and it'll have millions of views. The biggest niche in YouTube right now. And there's a channel out there and I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically a lady that unboxes Disney toys, yeah. plays with them for a second, never shows her face. It's like an over the shoulder shot, plays with these toys, videos done, 20 million views, wow. 200 million views. My kid, man. You like you cut him loose on YouTube, which I don't like to do because all of a sudden he's talking about stuff he ran into, <laughs> but... You cut him loose on YouTube, it'd be like, he likes monster trucks. Yeah. So 
you play him a monster truck video and the next thing he's watching is someone unboxing monster truck toys and he just like mouth open drool coming out it's like he just is transfixed and how and they do it where you don't see the person you just see the person's hands yeah i'm gonna do unboxing videos of critters yeah how old's your open boy? Here, critter up and see what's in there. It's like, oh, it's is a heart. He five. Yeah. The thing is, with why they're so popular is because what does a five-year-old do? He rewatches that thing a hundred times. Yeah, until like he's, until he's going back to the Ghostbusters. I just showed my youngest boy or my oldest boy the Ghostbusters. We watched the video. He's watched it ten times since. Yeah. So they watch this b- unboxing video, and they're not just going to watch it one time and move on. That's how you rack up hits on YouTube. Oh, you yeah. have it so they watch it a hundred yeah. times. And then it gets uh, into that category of unboxing. So every video, it suggested videos, an unboxing video, and they just, and it's the same channel and just click it over and over and over. Is like wrapped in paper like a birthday? Or no, no man, it's, it's just a, how it comes from the store. The reason it'd be like, package. yeah, but you could go, go, you could go watch unboxing videos of a fishing reel. Yeah. Go into like, go into YouTube and type in unboxing Shimano Stratic. And there will be a guy being like, so I just got the Shimano Stratic. Um, he'll kind of like show you, yeah, it costs nineteen ninety five. Let's open up or seventy five ninety five, whatever. We'll open it up and okay, so it's in a little cellophane bag. Um, I might get that well. open. Oh, it comes with an extra spool. I kind of I'm liking the quality of this spool. Huh. Let's take a look. Oh, here's the handle. Yeah, and that's why you're just like, yeah, you're like your mind. You're just like you can't. <laughs> it's just amazing, man. And there's they get manicures, nice manicures. <laughs> That's that's a big secret, I think, of an unboxing video. I couldn't do it. I don't have pretty hands. So it's you and the unboxers, and you. When did you start making hunting videos? I think we up. I uploaded the very first hunting video like four years ago, like four years ago, January. What was it? It was. <laughs> I don't talk about those first videos, Steve. No, it was. Uh, it was a uh, the very first video I ever put up was a. Uh, reel of that season that I was getting ready to upload. So it was like the 30-second highlight of the five hunts I filmed. Gotcha. So the first film I put up was, uh, I think, at My Brother's Elk Hunt. Um, and uh, it was a good film. No, it was terrible. But it was like 30 minutes long, and it was mostly me and my brother sitting in our little uh, studio office in California talking about this hunt, showing some clips of the hunt, basically. And uh, it, I mean, it still gets views. It's probably been viewed two hundred thousand times. Yeah, yeah. But I watch. But it's good. Like I tell people, they, they, those first couple films are kind of embarrassing because I'm just like, what was I doing? But it's good to watch because then I can see how far we've came. So, but totally self-taught. Oh yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about like going blast, blast from the past, I learned how to film and edit videos when I was in high school because I was trying to become a professional snowboarder. I was writing for a company in Salt Lake, and I was trying to get the bigger sponsors on. And so I'd go out with my mom's VHS, I mean, 25-pound camera, shoot video of me snowboarding, go, and I'd cut from VCR to VCR. And I'd spend hours doing this for, like, this three-minute clip. And then I'd send all these VHSs out to these snowboard companies, like, hey, sponsor me, you know. So that was my, like, initial approach into filming myself. But um, then I started filming hunting and stuff later. But uh, yeah, like self-taught pretty much, like on all the new editing software and all the new HD cameras and all that stuff. I think it's worth mentioning. I think that's when we aired Mediator the first time, four years ago in January, yeah. right? So same length of life here. Yeah. I can't turn the camera on. <laughs> I honestly, 
I'll see a camera like beeping, and I'll be like, oh, you know, must be running out of battery. I have to come find someone. I'll be like, hey, man, there seems to be a problem out there with one of the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong. I can't figure it out. It's making noise. Yeah, so we yeah, so we started doing hunts. Like the first hunt I ever filmed was 2010. That POW? No, we st- yeah, we started doing I think it was in 2000, 2000 no, 2009, 2009. Jeez. But it was like a whole different deal cuz it wasn't like the self-taught thing. I was rolling in with like some professional mugs, but I wasn't filming. See, I like I don't come from perspective. That's why I'm glad Dan and Yas are here because like talking about filming hunts, I don't really know. You know what I mean? I can't even speak to it, but I have a lot of things about, I, I have a lot of feelings. That I'd be curious to get your take on it. The way it, the way filming it, um, in some way I want to say it bastardizes it, but in some ways it kind of glory, like makes it better, you know, no, just to be capturing it. Because I often get hung up on sort of the the big idea of why, like why film it, like what's wrong with stuff just being in your head. No, I agree. Do you ever wonder about it? Is no, it different? I agree. Yeah, like, but then it. But but I'm almost ashamed to admit I have a ton of fun. I, like in some ways, it's more fun to go out and film it. Yeah, I mean, there's I guess there's two ways to look at it. Like I do the hunting thing, but we also like I was talking about earlier. We have this family channel where I vlog is like a video log diary of our daily life and i don't videotape every day but five to six days a week i upload a video to youtube of me and my wife and our kids hanging out doing living our life sounds crazy i know but and i love having those moments i love going back and being like oh look at when you were three you know because we've been doing it for four and a half five years but there are certain times and certain things and moments that happen that i go to take out the camera i said no this this just needs to be in my head It doesn't need to be shared with anybody else. So you didn't like upload your children passing through the birth canal? No, but pretty close. Really? I mean, my wife wouldn't allow that, obviously. But you would have? She had a C-section, the last baby, and that's the only one um, I really filmed and like... Uploaded it? Oh, yeah. Dude, my wife, like, we got to a point now... Dan, your couch is falling apart. Oh, no. We got to a point now, my wife won't even let me put pictures of my kids online. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, we decided as a couple... No filming kids. Yeah. I don't even want kids on my show. Yeah. No filming kids. I don't put my kids anywhere. I don't put pictures of my kids up. I can put pictures of the back of their heads up. Yeah. But in my mind, I've just gotten to be where it's like, that's something that they need to decide for themselves. Yeah. It's a big thing. It's not just private, right? So it's like, later on, are you going to be glad that someone exploited the strong word? And I can say this because I did it. Like, I, I put my kid on tv um later on i'd be like are you gonna be glad that someone took the liberty of broadcasting your life for public consumption Mm -hmm. before the age of consent yeah i mean so it's like it's in a little way i I just feel like it started to feel to me like very exploitative and not just that but dangerous dangerous and exploitative i thought you know i'd be curious to hear your take on it no i i have that's like the one of the biggest like concerns people always ask us is like do you really want your kids out there? Like, or do they, yeah, do they later want to be out there? Yeah. I mean, who knows what they're going to want to do, you know, 10 years from now, like maybe they're going to come back and be like, dad, like, why did you do that? But it's always very clear 
with with me and my wife that if they don't want to be on film, they will not be on film. But they yeah, love but they're it. too little to know. Yeah, I, mean, I if don't you know. Ask my kid, what do you want us to eat? What's he gonna tell you he wants to eat? Mac and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> so but that's what he wants to eat. Yeah, but so I'm saying what but is your I don't, vlog but I don't give it to him. I Casey think, Levere. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, and that's my my last name is actually Butler. But when we started the channel, I didn't want my information out there. Oh. So I used my middle name. Really. And now all the information about me is out there. No so, kidding. Yeah. But I don't know. Like I get uh, there. I've heard some weird stories. I've had like uh, big bloggers tell me crazy stories about their kids and and pictures and stuff they end up in the wrong places. And yeah, man. I mean, yeah, it frightens me. But I mean. You really can't get on any social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, anything, and post any pictures, then really, nobody can. It's not like, I don't feel like they target us because of what we do. Yeah, yeah. They just find whoever, and I don't understand it all. And, uh, but here's another way to look at it, because I've had this conversation with my brother. He has five kids, I have three kids. We talk about this all the time. Like, we all, like me, my brother, my two brothers, my sister, my wife, his wife, like, we all make YouTube videos for a living. It's like the family business now. And it is, this is a little bit out there, far-fetched, but if you grew up on a dairy farm and you didn't want to be a dairy farmer, is your dad going to still make you go out and milk cows? Yeah. It's a family business. Like, no, I'm with you. It's kind of the way I look at it, but it's kind of not because it is. Maybe later on in life, my kids are going to be like, Dad, I didn't want you to record my first grade, you know, graduation. Yeah. But, I mean... That's a good point. Family business. It's our, dude, that's dude, what we do for a hey living. Man, if, I didn't see all, if I didn't see all sides of it, I wouldn't have brought it up. No. If I was just like, I knew I was right and I was super confident in being right, I would have never brought it up. I yeah. don't know the answer to it. I don't but, either. But the thing about... This isn't why I brought it up, but I'm going to do a seamless segue. I feel the same way sometimes. Part of me feels the same way about hunting that I do about kids. Is it like the exploitation of something so beautiful yeah. filming it and sometimes i feel like um like it's a deal with the devil yeah. i don't understand why a deal with the devil because i just Hold feel on, like before we get this happen little, no little farther yeah nope. we have to let's take a quick break <laughs> to hear from our sponsors we'll be right back i was just talking about that that filming hunts sometimes feels as though um that that at the risk of sounding spiritual. No, not let me at the risk. No, not not at the risk of sounding spiritual. That there's sort of this thing, like in the natural world, you're sort of being gifted glimpses into some things, you know, and it feels private, or it feels like um like you paid some level of dues to be there and see these things happen, and then to see it, and then to capture it, or to, or to interrupt that moment in order to make an accounting of it starts to feel like, well, why, like, is it not just good enough that it just happened? Does it really have to happen that way? And I've gotten to the point where something amazing will happen. What's the first thing out of my mouth? Did you get that? <laughs> it's like, was it? You know what I mean? It's like, it, it makes you sort of reset expectations in some way. But also I think good things come of it. You know what I mean? I think that you're like to introduce people to, certain worlds you're like inspiring people and you just have to make a record you know the oldest representational art we know about is dudes doing depictions of their hunt on cave walls 
people for a long time have been saying like I did and I will now record. Yeah. You know. Does it feel different to you than writing about a hunt? Yeah, for some reason. Yeah. It's more intrusive, more yep. in your face. More intrusive. I agree with that. Like there are some things I think that should be experienced and should just be uploaded into your brain and that's it we were talking about one on the way here like this elk hunt we did last year he filmed it i shot this really nice bull and uh he got it all on on film but there was this one moment like the very first time i saw the bull coming through the trees and uh we had got none of it captured but that's something that's it feels like it is captured because i i replay that all the time yeah and that's like my moment you know like that was like my thing that only i experienced and that's pretty pretty rad but like what you were going after like with it does good things and you've said it before like the you feel like your show is the HR of, of hunting, right? It, like, it really shows a lot of people that other wor- words wouldn't have watched hunting. Yeah. What it really happens. And that's probably the coolest thing that we see on, on our YouTube channels because we have such a big audience that aren't necessarily hunters. There were anti-hunters. They were vegetarians or vegans. You know, they're the people against it. And then they really watch what, what a hunt really requires and what it takes. It's not just a bunch of dudes jumping in the truck with a case of beer, driving out, killing everything you see and going home. But we respect these animals and we consume these animals. And and uh, so, yeah, it is tough sometimes thinking that you exploit those animals for what you do. But I think in the long run, uh, what the Meat Eater show has done, um, I feel like we have done the same on YouTube. It really opens the eyes to the people that might not have understood what we did before. And I think that's the biggest problem with people that don't agree with what we do is they're just not educated on it. Yeah, or or got or do in fact know about something that happened, but they know about an anomalous yeah. thing that happens. Yeah. You know, like that one day, like they live in a suburb, and one day a deer comes running their yard with an arrow hanging out of it, arrow stuck in its leg, and they're like, "Oh, so that's what that's all about." Yeah, you know. On X Hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season. This hunting season, they will have a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt. These features include new aerial imagery options like leaf off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back, and imagery on demand. On top of that, OnX is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in Dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates OnX has for this hunting season. Try OnX Hunt free for seven days or go to onxmaps.com slash hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new OnX Hunt membership. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the app I use most. I love it. I cannot picture life without it. Use code MEATEATER for 20% off on your new OnX Hunt membership. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. 
Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store. Or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made, innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business. No one ever shows up. Those moments, though, when when you think may should you know should only be for yourself, when we do film them and say I'm shooting you, and I you know capture you experiencing that, like there's there's an I think there's like a next level of uh, I don't know just uh, I guess context, but possibly beauty too to see someone having an emotional or experiential thing happen. Like remember when we shot Joe Rogan shoot his first deer. Yep. There's that moment that that Mo captured there that is I uh, you know, not that it's greater than his experience. Of course it's not, but there's something really powerful there. And you know, we're looking for that. I mean, that's what Giannis and I are, are looking for as much as possible is that real experience. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you're not the writer in that case. In that case, the producer or the shooter is the writer and exactly. you're the yeah. subject. Yeah. And um yeah, I mean that's what we go for. So it's I mean I don't think it's, it's ex- exploitative necessarily the animal. I think it's also can be incredibly respectful specifically toward that situation. For sure, man. Like yeah, just to render it. And I think that, you know, I guess it's it's some little thing where wildlife art, wildlife photography always feels celebratory of the animal. You know what I mean? And I think you you can get to that as well. I don't want to just talk about this cuz I want to talk about other stuff. When you guys just like from a technical standpoint, capturing a hunt on film. Now that we've gotten into like, why would a guy want to, right? Or should you want to or, or whatever. What do you think, like from your guys' perspective, all having had tons of experience doing this, Dan, you've, I don't know, produced 60 episodes of Meteor, been on so that many hunts, filmed that many hunts or more, probably more actually. Um, when you guys watch, let's just say you're on YouTube and you're watching hunt videos that guys have made, What's the, what do you feel is the, it could be technical content, whatever. What do you feel is like the thing that guys most often do wrong? Or like, what are some things if you're going to offer up, answer this question anyway you see fit, but like, what do they do wrong? What could people do different that would improve their stuff? Everything. <laughs> I agree. Easily. <laughs> it's very easy to watch somebody else's uh, content and, and critique it, right? Like yeah. you can say, like I was, I would do not only easy different. but fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, to me, for me, I like like those moments you're talking about. I like the realness of the hunt and like capturing uh, the emotion behind it. And like I caught one of his moments when he killed out his very first like big bull on rifle and the emotion 
it, it was 20 seconds of you know of his raw emotion and it made the whole film like it made the for the three days we filmed like um i think the biggest thing that i see in like youtube or tv is anything that's not real it's staged and you can see right through it and there's so much content out there just staged hunts yeah where they go and kill something and then they'll go back and reshoot whatever yeah yeah the responses yeah another thing you see a lot of that makes um that that is difficult to watch is just the standard way of setting it up of be like hi i'm here with bob and we're on bob's beautiful place and we're gonna that's a difficult thing to get around you know it's difficult because there's an economy like staging stuff is economical I mean, it's like easy and quick. When we started out, when we used to do, like we did this particularly doing Wild Within, is you'd always do these, like you have two people have to meet, right? You're going to meet someone, but you don't film the meeting, right? Because it's chaotic. So later you got to do like, so you walk up and <laughs> shake their hand. And I still see that on TV now where like, it'll be a real, like one of those real estate shows and there'll be a shot where a guy's walking up to a door and there's a shot on the inside of the person hearing the knock. And then they open the door and meet. And they don't meet like how people meet. You know? Yeah. They're meeting in the way they meet on TV. Which isn't how that interaction goes down. We used to do those all the time. Yeah. Because, like, well, how else are you going to get into it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the key we realize is to get into it with VO and B-roll. Yeah. I hooked up with Doug, right? Shot of the land. See Doug, like <laughs> doing some Doug type activity. And just take for granted that people realize there must have been that moment when you shook hands that we're not. When the door opened from that the we're two not, sides. Yeah, yeah. That, that we're not seeing. And it's like, to see it, it's like a relief to me to not have those anguished. So, in a way, I always say, like, if you're doing stuff, if something makes you feel so awkward and self conscious, Try to find another way of doing it. That's true. Because everyone's going to feel awkward and self-conscious. There's probably people out there who can knock on a door and do like a meet and it just feels great. Dan used to be into a fishing show. Which one? Oh, yeah. He was good at it. He was amazing. What was that called? Oh, no, was, oh man. Good. Do you know what I'm talking about? He's a wrestler. Anybody seen this? He's a Canadian wrestler. He's mm, the best A redhead. Show. He would yeah. go extreme fishing and he'd like... He was a great showman. He was entertaining. He was so easy in his own skin, though, that he could do those. Yeah. Because yeah. he was a professional, right? I mean, he was a performer. Yeah. yeah. You know, he was an actor. He was a performer. He knew how to do that. But no, I mean. He could walk into a bar and do like a fake meet in the bar, and it was fun. Yeah. Like, he'd hit a whole fresh it, joke. Was it just like his name? It was like Billy. It was Billy. Dan know. was the only guy yeah. watching it. I, I thought yeah. it would have beat the Super Bowl for, in ratings. It was on <laughs> It was on Discovery or something for a while. Or Nat Geo. It was on Nat Geo. I'm really interested to know what oh, the show's That dude on. could carry a program, man. Really? I gotta I'll, go I'll watch look it. it up. I'll look it up sometime during this and bring it back up. But I want to say that like, I think the two main things people can do, and they're huge, and I don't know that people can do them easily, but number one is learn how to tell a story in a basic sense. And that means that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and that it shows an arc of what happens. And I don't think that hunting videos... Uh, do that very well uh, historically they don't do that and you know it's been our focus since the very beginning you know at zpz we've had a 
you know, a crack team of storytellers being very, very specific about how to craft our, our stories from beginning to middle and end and, and how they work. And we put a lot of time now, Giannis puts, you know, weeks into episodes before we go going before we go out there with a plan and then uh, monitoring that story while it's happening and then in the editing process afterward, it is a massive amount of work, a massive amount of people and energy that goes into really defining that story and making it entertaining, keep you moving all the way through it. And uh, that's huge. I mean, yeah. I think that's probably number one. And the second major thing for, for making hunting videos better would be to just learn the basics of framing the basics of your gear and the basics of of shooting um like blocking so you know a combination knowing how to cut from a close-up of casey's face to a wide shot that shows what he's doing with the context of where he's going and there's there's a million things to consider but uh probably the best way to learn it is to be in the edit room and actually put something together because then once you go out there, you know what the heck you're looking for to start with. Oh, like when you're so. sitting down piecing it together, you realize stuff you wish you had. Totally, and how to shoot that. Yeah. 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 You specifically know how to shoot that exact thing. You'll know what you need. Like uh, Nick Brigden's uh, the creative director at ZPZ, and he, he gave me a lot of my start and Mo did, but that's what makes his particular magic. And everybody talks about it. because he shoots what he edits, you know, and so he, when, he's, when he's out in the field or if you, we're in the field with somebody – who knows how to shoot for the edit it's all up in their head you know they just they know what they're going to get when they get it they get that feeling it's done and then you just move on and it's just like uh you know checking off boxes all day i want to speak to the story thing real quick because um it's hard to even define what story is but in one way you might get into a story is in the most basic element a story is something changes you know i mean like something changes um we work like at media. We work with a lot of people who, not a lot of people, the majority of people did not come out of hunting. They came out of storytelling, right? They came out of film, writing, various things. So their their first and foremost love is telling stories. This just this is a variety of story, but that's what it is. It wasn't like they loved to film hunts, but then wanted to learn how to make that into a story. So they they already got that part down. Another thing is, I think that what we found is maintaining a certain amount of flexibility about what a story is because Dane alluded to the pre-production process where Giannis might spend a bunch of time on like a story. Oftentimes you'll be midstream and realize that it's just not there and, or, or something different is going on and you're sort of making these game time decisions. Um, do we follow the story? Sometimes the story is hard because like I always make a joke about what's production and what's content. Sometimes you're in a story that feels very production. You know? It Define like, that. What, what's that mean? It feels like the story, like let's say you're going on a hunt and all of a sudden you can't go where you wanted to go. I'd be like, man, this is like a, what I would call a production issue. This is like in the way of us doing this. But you realize that sometimes out of that comes a sort of, you know, another story. To, or, or an actual story that would be a narrative that you would tell. A different example would be like, you can't film at night, okay? So you can't sit, or, or it's hard to film at night. Let's say you're filming on, you're spearfishing underwater at night, let's just say. It, you, it'd be very difficult to, to light that and do that. That's a production thing, right? It's like, it's hard to film at night. So oftentimes I find the main thing you're thinking about is 
you get lost in what it requires to make a story and you start missing sort of the story that you would be experiencing in the absence of filming. Like us going to Bolivia. No, no, it's like us going to Bolivia to film our shows and realizing that it rained for 30 days and then you couldn't catch any fish. Yeah. Which is, so you have this. It felt like production, but it was, (laughs) well, it was story. But you're right. There's this interesting moment when, you know, you, you deviate from what you want the story to be to, to having to reckon with what's actually happening. Yeah. And I think hunting is an incredible stage to learn storytelling in that dynamic way because you can't predict anything. Yeah. You can't you know, tell the to story. A, to an extent, you're always having to shift your, your focus yeah. at every point. I mean, whether it's just the light or the weather or the animals aren't doing whatever, you know, you're sort of, you're intending for something to happen and then it's not going to happen most likely. Yeah, it's. I, I think I think it would be tough to uh, try to set up a story before you actually go out on the hunt. I mean, typically you go out, you meet the landowner with that really awkward handshake, go hunt, kill an animal, butcher it, you're done, right? But so many times in hunting, it just goes wherever it wants to. Like your adventure leads you somewhere different. Yeah. And I don't know, like going back to what you're talking about, like cutting, editing, and, and video, t- you know, shooting. I don't think you can be a good cameraman until you actually start editing that footage and then you learn what you made where you made your mistakes it certainly helps yeah yeah like my wife just started she has a big craft show on youtube and she just started cutting her own videos or and she started shooting her own videos and what she does was, that mean craft show craft like making crafts hair tutorials recipes mom show basically um but man she, you guys really are neck deep we are yeah we're drowning in youtube but it's it's been great. I mean, well, it's hugely successful, right? Yeah, it does yeah, well, are- and it's allowed us to be with our kids. Like before we before this YouTube world, I was like blue collar as it come. I worked at the steel mill. She cut hair. Like we were working fifty, sixty hours a week, and now and that, this is going back to what we were talking about earlier. But now we do YouTube, and it allows us to do everything with our kids. And so it's like I tell my kids like sometimes like I'm trying to cut the next Hushin video at seven o'clock at night to get it ready for the next day and they're like Dad let's go do this I'm like I'm sorry I'm working right now and you know they get bummed out I'm like remember before when I worked at the steel mill and I was gone sixty hours a week like this is like our like this is me at the office here yeah. for two hours and later when they claim when they come to complain about what you exactly. put on YouTube you'd be like listen this, I wouldn't even have been there yeah if it wasn't for YouTube yeah so I'd have been gone. Yeah. Cutting my fingers off at Cutting, a steel mill. Burning my arm. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so she's starting to shoot her own videos and stuff at home so she doesn't have to fly out to L.A. as much. And uh, she's like, I don't know if the lighting's right. I don't know if I'm talking. I'm like, just shoot something for 20 minutes. Shoot it for, like, how you want it and go and cut it, and then you'll know. So now she loves it. She cuts her videos, and now she knows how to shoot them. And, like, that's the thing with us is we shoot and edit all of our own stuff. And so, like, beforehand, like, while I'm shooting him hunting, I'm thinking about how I'm going to cut that video. Like, oh, this is going to be her. Oh. First rule rule of podcasting. Dude, I don't. My ringer was off. (laughs) Thank you very much. Vibration. But, yes. You had an extra vibrate. (laughs) So yeah, we. I mean, when I'm shooting a video for for YouTube, I, I, I'm thinking about while I'm shooting, like how I'm going to cut it and how I'm going to tell that story. But uh, and you tell the stories pretty efficiently because you not. We we work in a twenty like a half hour show, twenty two minutes. Tw- right, we work in a twenty two minute world, and not only, not only that, but we think about it. Um, we tend to think about it in acts. Yeah, segments or 
like first act, and there's yeah. they're, they're, they're 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 different lengths. So we we talk about cold open, act one, act two, act three, act four, right? And um, but it's a twenty two minute product. You're dealing with something. Like, what have you found to be the sweet spot? I don't know. We were just talking about this earlier. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Some take off and some don't, but like I have a video up there right now that's 23, 24 minutes. Is that right? Which yeah. I would consider to be a long YouTube video. Yeah, that's a long YouTube video, but it has great retention and almost a quarter of a million views right now. So, but, but can you ever, t- I'm sure you can. What quarter million views is how many people clicked it? How many people have seen it all the way through? Um, it's hard to say how many people have seen it all the way through, but it gives you a, a retention rating, uh-huh. and that one's like eighty percent. Oh, so that one just keeps the people like certain videos. Yeah, like just like any show, you want to keep their attention there so they continue to keep watching. And something with that video, just the storyline of it and the way. What is it, what? Like just in a one sentence synopsis. What is it? The hunt. Yeah, uh, I shot the the bull that's named the fire bull, and it's just kind of gone like internet famous i guess i don't know it's just a really big bull but the story is so cool and so rare and luckily enough i was able to capture it on film so i don't know i there was a lot of anticipation for the video to come out because it was floating around social media for so long so when you killed this giant bull that i killed this big bull what happened with the fire the cool thing about this bull is you know eric Eric is a shed hunter (laughs) and if you guys know shed hunters they're crazy people they will, they, like, Eric has history with this bull. He's watched this bull for years. Like, he's watched this bull grow up, and he collected its horns and stuff. Like, Eric wasn't just out to kill any elk walking down the mountain. Like, he, he went out to kill this one specific animal. Yeah. And he did. So I documented everything, the scouting and everything leading up to it, and the fire bull was this. This was the bull I, was, I wanted to hunt. Wow, was he and you had, his, you had his shed antlers from over a period of some time? Fr- some friends of mine had collected um, a couple sets off him and uh a young kid and his dad had found two sets off him as well so we just knew he was on the mountain because did they give you did they give you the antlers after you killed it i do have one set from a friend who i, I had a set off a bull he killed so we i had the set off <laughs> it's the a bull. crazy world it's a prisoner, prisoner exchange set. program <laughs> so we like swap no and he was super nice about it uh, his name's jared and he was uh yeah it was like no questions asked he's like this is your bull so we traded um, but what was neat or what was interesting about the hunt and why that hunt has kind of gone viral is I actually shot him twice, but 12 days apart. So I shot him the opening week and it just... Shot with a, with a bow. With a bow. This yeah. is an archery hunt and I'm, I'm hunting out of a ground blind and opening Thursday, so the hunt started on Saturday and opening Thursday, a good friend of mine, Kobe, he came to help me with my hunt and I said, well, I, this bull has been seen right in this meadow I'm just kind of been sitting there and haven't seen him yet. So he was kind of getting bummed out because he had taken off a lot of work to come help me, but he had been wishing that he would have waited till the rut. Cause yep. in Utah, we get that early season and, and the bow hunters start to get into mid September, which the rut starts to get going. And I just remember telling him like, Hey, this is going to be an awesome hunt. Like there's bulls, you know, in this area, we're going to hunt the fire bull. I mean, that's what I was doing was hunting the fire bull. So it was the opening Thursday, and him and I were sitting in the ground blind. And this is just a ground blind built out of pine needles and tree limbs and anything we can build up this uh, like makeshift ground blind. And uh, the fireball came out into the meadow. And uh, I remember my friend, he's, I was like, get the camera ready. The fireball's coming. And he's like, you're, 
you're lying, you know. He kept saying, you're, yeah, right. And I said, get the camera ready. And you can just tell by my, you know, the way I said that, that he got the camera ready. And, and sure enough, the fireball fed out. And I waited. And it was, this is so funny going back to, like, being in those moments where we're filming and, and when we're not and things we, can, we should see and just have in our minds. For me at that moment, like, you can see in the film, like, my heart is racing when I first spotted him. But it took him a, a quite a while just to feed up to us and to get to where I can like clear all the branches and shoot at him. But in that moment, like I was not hunting, and my mind, like I had the bow in my hand, and here's this bull that I've been you know waiting for all summer to hunt, and I've got the tag and I've got my chance, and I'm like spaced out, I'm zoned out, and I'm not even hunting. Like my instincts, I was just enjoying the visual of like, wow, there he is. Like it was the first time I had seen him that year with my eyes other than trail cam pictures. So it was my friend that was like, dude, right now, shoot. And I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you're right, you know. <laughs> so I had waited for his head to be down. I had waited for that front shoulder to go forward, and I just put it right where I wanted it and let go. And we heard the smack, and uh, the bull ran off, and my buddy just, you got him, you nailed him, and everything, and we were so happy we were celebrating. The cameraman he's was like, you quiet. got him. Yeah, he's not supposed oh, to talk. He's, he's, he's not, not quiet. even there. He's, he's not, not even, quiet. He's not even supposed to be there. <laughs> this guy gets so excited. I mean, I, he, he, this guy loves to hunt, and him and I have had some great experiences on the mountain together, and he just can't hold it in. Bottom line, he gets too excited. So he's, you got him. So we were excited, and we watched, replayed the footage, and it just, uh, he kind of jumped the string, and I hit hit him in the shoulder blade. I mean, you can see in the film that the sh- the arrow just rides up the shoulder instead of going, you know, penetrating in. And uh, it rained all night, and we didn't find him the next day. Luckily, a friend did see him bedded in the thick timber, and I thought I was going to have a second chance right then to go and shoot him. But unfortunately, he got up and walked off. So the crazy thing about the hunt is I sat that blind. I kept sitting in that blind. And a lot of people doubted me. A lot of people said I was wasting my time. And 12 days later, in the same blind, hunting by myself, filming myself with you know just a little hand-held camera on a tripod and my head camera, he came out. 12 days later. Really? Oh, he Feeding? looked Oh, he looked so healthy. <laughs> the, I, I mean, the first time I shot him, he kind of had some velvet hanging off his antlers and he kind of had that really thin summer coat. This is 12 days later and his antlers are now just polished up, really dark timbered antlers. And uh his cape was just even he was getting more into that rut phase. He just looked so pretty and he didn't even have a limp. Drilled in the shoulder blade, and 12 days later, he's just walking. No kid. As majestic as he was out there. I mean, it was crazy. See, now, now I'm, you're causing me to enter into that fantasy <laughs> of the, all the stuff I ever crippled is just fine. Yeah. Oh, like, <laughs> and that's that going back to that, how we talked about how filming we can learn so much and it does some great things. Like, we learned a lot from this hunt. You know, a lot of people told me he'll never be back, he's going nocturnal. Um, he knows that meadow is dangerous now. And yeah. I just said, look, these animals live in danger 24-7. They're habitual. I, th- I think he's going to be back. So I kept sitting that blind, and when it finally happened... Where'd uh, you hit him that time? Oh, right in the money. Like, it was a little bit low, but it, it right behind the shoulder and... Uh, same side? Same side. W- when people would ask me, well, what, ha- tell me the story. I remember Kobe was the first one I called on my cell phone to tell him the story. He said, well, what happened? I said, well, Kobe, remember how it happened when you were there? 
He says, yeah, I said, that's what happened. So what do you mean? Like same, same area, same everything? I was like, yeah, same exact spot, almost the same time of night. When I hit him, he ran in the same exact path out of this meadow. And so I was, feel like you're giving way too much away right now. Oh, I we're, can't we're, help You're it. supposed to spark their interest <laughs> so they go and watch the video. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, just right now, just say like, and that's when the mauling happened. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bears and the coyotes met. It, it, is, it is a crazy story because not only you wound an animal and he comes back to the exact same spot, like step for step. Oh, yeah. It's a 400-inch bull that's supposed to be the smartest creature on the planet or in the woods does the exact same thing after. Well, I, you know what I think? I think that bull was thinking there's no way that guy's going to come back because he knows he'll never all, be back. All his buddies are telling him not to. He, he's not there. They're like, but what if that dude does come back? He's like, why would he come back? He shot me there. He shot he me He thinks there. I'll never come back. Yeah. That's the only place I am going to stay. Yeah. But it was wild. But going back to your question, um, like some of our videos, like we run five to seven minutes, but videos like that, that – it's hard to tell that story in less than that 23 minutes. Like I've actually been working on a, an edit to shorten it up for a, um, the full draw film tour, but it's been hard because it's hard to take away from the story, you know, all the preparation, the scouting, and everything that happened because it, it just the way it was edited 24 minutes was just the way it was. I didn't yeah. think like, okay, I have to edit this at 25 or 22 or whatever. I just edited it the way I felt I liked it, and then that's what worked. Is yeah. that on the Hushin channel too? That yeah, that's on the Hushin channel. So if you just search the Fireball Elk Hunt. It's the, beauty th- the beautiful thing about YouTube. We're so free to do. You know, I remember being on the New Mexico hunt. I remember camping yeah. out, and you were asking me how long, the day after I shot my bull, how long we were going to make the film. And I was like, uh, try to make it under 10. What was it? What did it end up being? Eight? Nine? I mean, nine minutes told the story, and I didn't need to put anything else in there, you know? Yeah. So. I've come to, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that, that I kind of like the time constraints. I like sort of it makes you uh, creatively dig for things when, when you – need to dig for things it also makes you not be precious about a lot of things too cutting down is a really cool process and and like the collaborative of nature working with editors and i mean you guys do your own stuff but we have it you know we work in in teams and sort of having a bunch of people craft this stuff and you know being precious about stuff is for me could be an issue if i didn't have other people just to like yeah i think they told like i went to writing school you know Uh um and the thing that writers just pound and pound and pound into you and like every writer says is like you got to kill your babies you got to kill your babies you know um meaning don't let like these moments that you that you think are so great or these things that you're you that are so precious to you like get in the way of the greater good yeah you know i remember like when i wrote my buffalo book um i wrote it 100 pages too long you know and i'm telling you man i like fought over every word right and I got it all done. It was just ridiculously long. I went through and axed 100 pages out of there. Painful. Wow. But now I'm like, I can't believe I almost had that garbage in there. Yeah. <laughs> like later, when you look at it, it's like, like I would take whole chapters and just grab a paragraph out of it, you know? But you go like, well, no, because I have like, it's special because I did it. Yeah. Is what it is what you get in your head. Like it's oh special because I did it, and 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 I already got my time in it now. So now it's out there. And I think that like having that discipline 
to go shorter. We used to get, like, we still get inquiries, be like, oh, you guys should be an hour long. And I used to think, like, oh, yeah, it should be an hour long. Like, Meat Eater should be an hour long <laughs> show. Now I'm like, I kind of, over time, I've just sort of like, I, I like 22 minutes. Yeah. Because I feel like in 22 minutes, you can, when it's right, it can be just so tight and fast. I watch the show without the ads, though, right? So I watch like the way it's meant to be. And I sometimes remind myself, oh, yeah, but it's broken up by ads. But um, it's somehow it's so fast and has such a roller coaster quality to it. That's the best, I think, is like, it's just like, wham! And people would be like, dude, I could have watched that for an hour. I'm like, I'm, that makes me glad it was 22 yeah, minutes. Yeah. You know? I think a good way to gauge it is if you watch it like a 22-minute video on YouTube, does it feel like it's 22 minutes? Yeah. Did you, at the end of the video, are you like, well, that was 22 minutes? Or are you like, what? Where did the time, did the time go? go? Yeah. Like, I mean, TV, yeah, you guys are under restraint for, you guys are 22 minutes every episode, right? Like, how much after you guys go out and film and you guys turn the media into the editors? How much do you sit down with the editors, Dan, and and go through with them and try to tell the story or so, so yeah so Giannis run through the, run through the whole process yeah, start yeah I think this would be interesting mm-hmm. so in the current form so Giannis is, is the producer so he will create he will run the pre-production he will plan things he will create a document called a treatment which is the the hope or plan for the story to happen in the field he'll be there and will be in charge of uh, capturing the story both on camera and then in his head and in notes to later go into the post-production process. So that's, um, yeah, but post-producing the episode would be working hand-in-hand with the editor every step of the way. So basically we turn in a, uh, uh, what we call producer notes, which is, so the treatment's a document at the beginning and then after the shoot, the document's called the producer notes. It basically is an act-by-act breakdown with uh, a possible VO already written with um, really just a, a script or, or writing out the show. But that changes a lot, and it rarely is, you know, actually the product. And how many hours are you dealing with? How many hours of footage? You know what? People ask that. I don't even know. It and it depends. I mean, we shoot up to how many hours are on one. Well, I've been studying up on card. shooting ratio, and uh, yeah. <laughs> oftentimes documentary style filming, which is what we do, and which I think most hunters do, you know, when they're shooting their hunts, is you can get upwards of like fifty to sixty to one. Uh, that's the ratio yeah you can shoot almost an hour for one minute man i'd say we shoot especially if we have multiple cameras going which we often do it's a lot more i'd say it's a higher ratio than that even especially when you count in time lapses oh yeah (laughs) i mean we come back what say eight full cards at 120 minutes each and if you have two uh shooters double that you know you're talking about thousands of of minutes of footage maybe between one and three thousand minutes of footage um so at that point it could go up to a, a hundred to one sure yeah but so and we have you know editors that we have been working with for a long time and there's there's a couple editors that specifically um uh, you can be a little less hands-on but you know i post i produced and post-produced probably i don't know 40 50 episodes of meat eater and, and it just depends on who you're working with whether or not you had to be really really uh directive yeah you can editor to cut a few and they kind of know how you guys like them i I can just say being on that you know we were in the same camp a few years ago in new mexico i was blown away at the uh at the work you guys put in to capture an episode like there was what there you were there 
Dodie was there, and you guys had two other cameramen, right? One other, other camera, and then, and then we had an assistant. Audio guy. Who was out there with us? Uh, oh, Peter was out yeah, there with us. Yeah, Peter. Yeah. But there's yeah. four guys, and then Steve, and you guys were packing the long lens, the DSLRs, and you guys packed back in for, what, a couple nights? Yeah, we carry a bunch of junk. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine the, uh, the excess amount of batteries you pack in on a hunt like that, and then SD cards, and it's wild. Batteries are the limiting factor oftentimes, and, and we'll have to either pack back to, to recharge batteries or bring a that, – that becomes a limiting factor, both for weight. Well, actually, for a while, we only had so many batteries. Now we have like – 150 of those big batteries now. So they call them bricks. Bricks. Yeah. <laughs> each one weighs a pound. Yeah, each yeah. one weighs a pound. That's wild. It's, it was wild to see, though. Like, you guys put a lot of time and effort into capturing one hunt. But finish out how it goes. So you didn't get it to the end, though. Before, oh, yeah, no, before yeah. Dan finishes, though, we're going to take a quick break. Yeah, so finish out, though, because you didn't get to the end of how, how a show gets made. Okay, yeah, so while the editor the editor cuts it, and he cuts what we call a rough cut, which is about to time, so, you know, maybe it's within a minute of, of the ending end running time, hopefully, and then he sends, uh, we do a round of notes, so Steve gets it, I get it, Yanni gets it, um, usually that's just about it, maybe one other person, and then we do a round of very, very specific critical notes on that cut, Goes back to the editor. He has a couple more days to get out a fine cut. We do the same process, another round of notes. Goes back to the editor. He works those notes out, and there's a lot of conversation that always goes on in between that. Finally, we get to what we call a pre-lock cut, and we all kind of sign off on it. Record And sorry, there's other stuff in there, recording VO, getting all that cut in, doing rewrites for VO. Um, but then finally, after... You know, a three to four week edit process and and a whole process. It's a heck of a lot longer than that. Than we have a, so we finally finally craft these shows. You know, there's a oh, yeah. there's a lot of people with a lot of brains and, and creativity working their butts off to to make these things the way they are. So. In the end, it feels natural. It does the product like you wouldn't guess. Yeah, you know. If you had to sit and watch those hundreds of hours of footage, it'd be mind-boggling. Oh, oh I can't even imagine trying to scrub through all that video. What's you, got, what's you guys' shoot ratio doing YouTube videos? <laughs> what do you say, like 50 to 1? Like, we might get like 50, <laughs> 50 minutes for every video. I don't know. Like, I would say yeah. a couple hours. A couple hours of, of... Of, like, yeah, different point of views, GoPro angles. B-roll. B-roll footage. But I bet, like, that New Mexico hunt, for example, I think it's eight, nine minutes long. I bet I cut through, like, three hours of footage. Is that right? Yeah. And, I like, by the time I'm done, I'm just like, all right, just put it up. Like, <laughs> I'm so tired of watching myself talk and walk around the hills. But Do you guys have any interest in a TV-length type thing? I mean, is that something that interests you, or you're, you're just no. you're YouTube all the way? I'm a, I'm a YouTuber. Eric's a YouTuber. Like, <laughs> yeah, you'd have to get a new business card. Yeah, I, I don't have business cards. I'm a YouTuber. YouTubers don't have business cards. <laughs> no, I, I, I love the platform of YouTube. I love the possibilities on YouTube. And uh, that's just, I mean, every day, Monday through Friday, one billion people log into that that, that website. And so... I mean, it's just been cool, and I don't, I don't really see see ourselves doing anything different. I love the freedom we have to do whatever we want, upload videos when we want, yeah. um, make seven minute videos or twenty three minute videos. Like, so we're we're happy doing what we do. But I mean, yeah. What do you think? You want? Yeah, I'm I'm committed to YouTube. 
Is that right? I've done a lot of research, and I've been so intrigued by the platform for the last three or four years that I just feel like it's a good opportunity for me. It fits what I want to do really well and what I enjoy doing really well. Well, the same conversation we're having about cassettes and CDs, you know, one day they're going to be talking about TV shows in the same way. Like, oh, remember, remember when that TV uh, show was on? I, I didn't want to, like, burst like, that oh, what? bubble with you guys, but I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I no, mean, man, I don't we're know. Always, like, like, we spend a ton of time talking about... Digital. Know, yeah. Just talking about what's, what's happening, you know? Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't think TV will ever be obsolete, but at the same time, like... I would love to know the ratio of Americans, like people in America, that have TV and have the internet, and ha- who has both. Because I know I haven't had TV in five years. Like I get, consume all my entertainment from the internet, and everyone has the internet now. Everyone has access to the internet, basically. An iPhone, tablet, a watch, whatever. Well, we know for a fact that meat eater fans or meat eater watchers, over 50% are not watching it on the channel at the time that it airs. They're, they're watching it through other means. We, we did yeah. that. Yeah, the other thing, we talked about tapes and, and CDs earlier. It's yeah. like right at the time that that guy did that persuasion speech in Communication 101, okay, an album that was out at that time was Counting Crows, August, and Everything After. Yeah. Now, the guy that, the, the you know, whoever that guy is in that band, I don't think he was sitting around being like, but are they going to listen to it on CD or cassette? Yeah. It's like it, it, at a point, as like if you have confidence in what you're making, you know what I mean? I don't spend too much time thinking about it being a, 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 a this show or that show. You know, like I, I'll spend a ton of time thinking about how people are going to consume it. I, I mean, I don't want to get caught in a weird thing where we haven't thought our stuff out, but I feel like you know the basic format the premise you know i mean i know we'll find homes yeah for the stuff i agree i feel like if you're making i mean content's king right that's the old saying like you make good content it it can live anywhere um i feel like you you guys could transform what you do now your 22 minutes onto to wherever whatever digital platform it would do great but you're right you don't have to think about that right now just make good content yeah i get a little jealous of those tv shows on hbo or netflix that like you get once 22 minutes maybe you get an episode 26 or 28 you kind of have that little wiggle room that's that's pretty cool yeah you know, here's one thing I want to do. How long have we been? How long have we been talking? Now? We're an hour. All right. Here's one thing I want to do, and I'm going to I'm going to do the first one. Um, because people have such an interest in, in recording, capturing, hunts, fishing, out of doors, whatever. On X Hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season. This hunting season, they will have a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt. These features include. New aerial imagery options like leaf off. Recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back and imagery on demand. On top of that, OnX is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in Dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates OnX has for this hunting season. Try OnX Hunt free for seven days or go to onxmaps.com slash hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new OnX Hunt membership. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is the app I use most. I love it. I cannot picture life without it. Use code MEATEATER for 20% off on your new OnX Hunt membership. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. I want to just go around the room for a while and very quickly say thing, your, give your findings, okay? things you think. Um. One thing that I've found that, that's become a, a personal thing for me is I really like, and, and we go to great ends to establish like hunting big game, okay, or any kind of hunting, to contextualize visually the hunter with the quarry. Because I'll point out right now I'm watching, it's been out for a while, I've been watching Planet Earth, right? And Planet Earth, you know, like tells these stories about Earth, but they tied in with like the, 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 the real bread and butter of that is predator-prey interactions, right? It's like they just punctuate it. They don't go four minutes without showing something, eat something. Oftentimes they got great footage, right? A snow leopard grabs a markor and the markor gets away. Oftentimes they don't, so they'll show like, uh, Ethiopian wolf walking. Then they'll show a uh, baboon looking nervous. Then they'll show the wolf. Then they'll show the baboon. Then they'll show the wolf. Then they'll show the baboon. And the baboon runs away. And you go, you know what? I never saw the damn baboon and the wolf in the same yeah. shot. Mm-hmm. And it's like <laughs> like a weird kind of fuckery going on. you know. And I hate that kind of thing to where I always feel like when we have a sequence where you got like long lens footage or footage of an animal. One guy's filming an animal, a turkey coming in. And one guy's filming you. And later, you're like bouncing like turkey, you, turkey, you. I always feel like the, the viewer's mind is open to the fact that his chain's being jerked. And I breathe such a sigh of relief 
when there's that shot where there's like you or the hunter and the thing together, brought together. It's like the technical term is tying it in, like a shot that ties it together. It it, It, it solidifies. It solidifies that action because when that happens, that back and forth, everyone thinks, "Is this real? Is this really going on?" And it just solidifies it when it shows like an over-the-shoulder shot of you with your gun, and there's the turkey. And the the guy that like gave Meat Eater its visual look to to a huge degree is a guy named Mo Fallon, who shot yeah. many of the first ones. And Mo, I don't know if he ever articulated it this way or not, but Mo had this sort of idea that it was like that the viewer is your buddy. Your the viewer is your buddy with you, you know, and. And if you watch the show, you like you start to kind of feel that where like the camera is often right where if you were with your buddy and your buddy's hunting, it's like the camera's where you'd be, where you'd want to be to be a participant in this. And that sort of like over the shoulder shot when all of a sudden something comes into view and you got the person and your person could be just blurry, right? It's completely like out of the depth of field, but it just feels so good. And yeah, it got to subs- see those moments. I remember that first season; it was substantiated. I think you know we maybe after the second episode or something, we got a Facebook comment that said, "You know, I can't believe how you shot this. It felt like I was right there with you." Yeah. And that was what you know. That and was it's, the it's, point. It's those moments. Yeah, it's like those moments where everything comes together in a way. And we even found like sometimes you're talking about something so far away. So we do a lot of, like open country hunting, and your glass and stuff. We'll just go. Do an overshot, you know. Someone will get back. I'll be talking about something. I'm pointing, and they just kind of zoom over. You're never in a million years going to pick it up, but you zoom over and you start to make out the landscape. Yeah, and then you can go to that <clears throat> tighter shot that shows it. But you do feel like you've been delivered to that point. It doesn't have this like arbitrary feel to it. Yeah, that makes it feel like TV. Yeah. you know, because oftentimes when I'm watching stuff. I don't like to have any moment where I'm pulled out to question what's going on. And like, like I was talking about watching the Planet Earth series. They show these, they're showing like these polar bears making their first emergence. But the snow's covered in tracks. Like they've clearly been out a whole bunch of times. They keep going back in the den. Yeah. Like their first emergence. It's like, well, these tracks are all over the place. Like the, the entrance to the hole's all mudded up. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, why tell me that? Because now I'm sitting here thinking about why you said that. When it's not the way it is, so just have it be that he's coming out of his den and I'll enjoy it and I won't be like distracted. Yeah, you, know? you won't be. And so I'm always like, when I'm watching our stuff, I'm always like, what are the things that's going to catch someone and pull him out of the reality I want him to experience mm-hmm. and make him enter into the reality of his head as a skeptical viewer? Yeah. You know? Another example of that to take it even further is like, if you are cooking a piece of meat over a fire, there's something magical and beautiful about a shot that actually, without cutting away, pans from that piece of meat up to your face. Rather than having two shots where you just have a shot of that meat on the fire, you have a shot of the face. Like, that's fine. That's great TV. That's, you know, you can do that well. But there's something specific about that uninterrupted, either having both objects in the frame at exactly the same time or being able to swing and move without actually cutting the shot. There's, it's something seamless and um, important that happens in being it's able like, to show It gives that. it more realness. Like, yeah. it's exactly like with a kill shot, right? Like, you know, like you can either do that over-the-shoulder kill shot 
where you're in the frame, the animal's in the frame, focused, your, your shoulder might be out of focus. And I remember, like, your guys' first se- season, there was a lot of that. I love that shot. But, like, if you are zoomed in on the animal after the kill shot and then that swing to the, yeah, it just gives it that realness, you know? So we'll deal it like dealing cards, so that makes Dan's up. Dance so what, just too. finding, just one tip, just yeah, like a thing, man, like a, like a, like a, like an example of what I'd escape for for people who want to, yeah, like for people, um, people who want to capture their stuff, because so many people now want to capture their stuff, man. Yeah, when uh, I go out fishing, even when I'm fishing on Lake Washington, there ain't a guy out there fishing without a without go a GoPro on his yeah. hat. <laughs> All right, so I'll say a very basic one that's that's not very sexy, but super important is just learn what the heck you're doing with your equipment. Know how practice enough. Read enough. Have somebody show you how to use your camera, you and, like, you, like and just actually use it. Actually use it and audio. Actually, th- let me make that my point. If you have crappy audio and it, it's it's not like your quality will never rise. I mean, you still might have a successful video. I don't know, but have an actual microphone mic'd up. Know how to manage it. Have good levels so people can hear what you're doing. And uh, learn how to make a, a shot with cameras, and and learn how to be steady. Don't don't be wobbly. I don't steady. That's a big one. Steady. Can just practice do, enough. Can you do audio without getting into like audio equipment? You mean just give? I mean, yeah. A lot of cameras have onboard um, you know, mics that that may be okay in most situations, but you get in some wind or you get in in some other type of scenario and it's no longer going to be good get a cheap lav mic get get a cheap mic to put on your on your shirt lav mics now and uh, the road makes them and you can download the app that you can plug it directly into your phone yeah and it gets great audio and it's not a lot of money it's like 100 bucks for the lav and or a zoom recorder just spend a little time and and uh yeah learn what you're doing with your stuff i had to learn that all myself like i started shooting before i knew how to operate a camera and it was tough you know but my finding, and we get told, I mean, we get asked a lot about how we got into filming and stuff. And I feel like now we're talking to not people that are trying to create TV shows necessarily. No, it's people who are trying to capture their stuff. Capture stuff. My, my finding is just do it. I mean, the way, and this was going back to like me talking about cutting from VCR to VCR with that big giant v- VHS when I was trying to record me snowboarding, is technology's crazy, man. There's some great cameras out there that somebody can pick up for three, four, five hundred bucks, and you can record some amazing stuff. And I think for most beginners is they think they have to have all the nicest equipment and they have to go through film school. I don't know. It's just get a good camera and go out and capture moments because that's what it's all about is you're trying to relive those moments one day. You know, if you're not trying to put out a TV show or YouTube channel, you just want to capture your your hunts just do it figure it out go out and shoot wildlife and shoot your buddies shooting a deer and shoot try to film yourself and just learn and do it because even after we started hunting sometimes and i'm sure you get this way sometimes we're on a hunt for 10 days and it's like all right leave the camera at home i don't care if we get the kill shot i want to end this thing and then i've done it a few times i went out and shot something and i thought how stupid was that for me not to have the camera going it's easy to set up a camera. It's easy to have your buddy hold a camera. It might not be the most professional footage, but it's a memory that you can relive. And it goes back to like talking about uh, you know exploiting animals. One of the coolest things I think about hunting is seeing old school pictures from like my grandpa's time and my great grandpa's time, and going through those and seeing what hunting was like back then. You know, they all, everyone had a twenty-eight inch buck 
you know, in the back of the truck. But it's so cool to relive that through these pictures. And I feel that way with what we're filming. One day, my great great grandkids are going to go be, be able to go and watch my adventures on if it's YouTube or wherever. But it's just capturing those moments. That It'll you be a very relive. detailed logging of a bygone time. Yeah. <laughs> so I my, my my I would just say if you want to just go out and capture you know some footage of you hunting just do it get a good camera you can use your damn phone almost like the phone to take amazing footage but go out and buy you a four hundred dollar camera and just start doing it yep got to get started somewhere yeah well yeah that's what i was gonna say is just get out there and get started so i have to think of something else um but one of the things that come to me when a lot of people approach me and say, hey, I got this awesome you know, hunt on film. Do you want to use it for your next project, your next DVD, YouTube, whatever it is? And sometimes I've been like, yeah, like cool, let's, let's check it out. And yeah, I got the kill shot. And that's it. Yeah. I'm like, this is a great kill shot. And, and the kill shot can be very important in a hunting film or a hunting TV show or something that we do on YouTube. But there, it, is, it, is a, it is that sliver of you know, that second or two seconds, and that's it. The rest of the hunt and the story is, like you said earlier, is that 50 hours of B-roll footage and all the other cool stuff. So my advice would be to film everything. Like pack a lot of memory cards. You, the worst thing is running out of memory cards when you're out there and you're trying to delete all your other things so you can film the next thing. <laughs> yeah. so be deleting pre- your last <laughs> Yeah, you're deleting your last hunt on accident to film the next one. Yeah. So yeah, be prepared with memory cards um, and just film a lot of cool stuff. And, and think outside the box. Think, what's a cool point of view? Can I stand behind this tree or get these, you know, these flowers in the shot? And just try new, different things and experiment. And then when you get into the room to cut it, I find that it's the most random clips that I'm like, that is so cool. Like, the sun just hit just right on this one clip, and I didn't think it was that cool because all I was filming was your feet. So just film a lot of B-roll stuff because when it comes to editing a story, it, you can't you can't edit a hunt with just a kill shot, so get a lot of other B roll footage, and you have a lot more to work with. A lot of coverage. I think, I think the kill shot thing is weird because I think that some people kind of tend to fetishize the kill shot. In that, if we're talking about like if you want to capture the reality of a hunt, or you're, you're trying to in some way capture the experience of it, when you're hunting, the kill shot is like you don't even really log it. No. In your own mind, do you know what I mean? It's just like a bam, it's done, it's gone. Or you don't even know what happened. I'll oftentimes want to look at the footage to find out what the hell I just saw happen. And so I tend to be like, I tend not to react. Like I tend not to, one, I try not to take in a lot of media that is just like what I'm trying to make because I'm always afraid of what my influences will be. Or that yeah. I wind up responding not from an honest place. I, I, I won't like create ideas or, or, or perspectives from an honest place, but it'll always be like, I'll be reacting to whatever happened to me last or whatever I saw last. So going against that, I have noticed this like kill shot thing, right? This idea like playing it again and again and again, you know? And it just, to me, has in some ways felt a little bit ugly. And so in a way that I have reacted to what I saw in a way, maybe is just to go against and not make such a big deal out of that. I kind of like it. When we don't even have it. Or you don't even know what happened. Like you just see something that happened and it's like that's like what it seems like though. Yeah, it is. It's you such know, it's, like it's one of those moments in life that happens so fast that it's kind of a blur. You might be like, I feel like I saw yeah. a puff of hair. Yeah. 
but I could be wrong. I swore I saw a puff of hair. Or, I don't know, it seemed to do this when I shot. And you're trying to replay to figure out if you had a good hit or not, you know? And you realize the minute you get a, the minute you hit something and it runs off, you realize how frail your recollection of what just happened is because you often can't put it together. You're like, I feel this, I feel that, you know? Or you might get lucky and you notice it like, the belly lifted, the back arched upright, and that probably logged in your head just from past experiences that when you see that, you know it's dead. Yep, he did the hunch. Or he slouches the wrong way, and for past experiences, he's like, that didn't look good. Gotcha. He don't, you know. So that might stick in your head because it triggered some memory, but often you have no idea. And so I like stuff that doesn't just sort of like glorify this, this blood-splattered moment, not out of any deference to people's sensitivities, but just because I feel like that's what it is. That's what it's like. I agree. You know? And going back to like talking about, you know, being, you know, the HR for, for hunting and showing people that, you know, are outside of, of what we do looking in is it is, it's such a small, just a sliver of the experience and the story, right? Like it, that's not the ending. Right, like, I still know. think it's important. It is. And I think it's listen, important. I, it's an important. What, what's for, the one thing I always want to see when we're out in the field? Yeah, everybody does. We all want to see it. It is yeah, important, like, but yeah. like like Steve was saying, like you watch some of these shows and they glorify it so much, like they play it like they hang their hat on it. Ten times slow motion, reverse, upside down. It's like okay, I got that you killed that animal, and it's cool. Like as hunters, we know how hard you have to work to get to that point yeah. to pull the trigger, and so that's kind of like the 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 I did it, you know. Yeah. But it, in my, I agree. Like in my eyes, like I hate seeing stuff over like overplayed, and that's the kill shot. Like yeah, put it in there. You need it. It's like kind of like the button almost. I was but, at an awards. I was at an awards ceremony one time. I'm not gonna say what it was, but I was at an award ceremony and they had a what must have been it felt like 10 minutes maybe it wasn't 10 minutes a kill shot reel dude it just got to be a bit much but like i said me not wanting me not wanting to fetishize kill shots isn't out of sensitivity or deference because they used to say and if you look at like old guidelines for outdoor tv it would be like oh you can't show the, show the kill shot more than seven times in a row Really? No. And then the next sentence: No bloody hands. <laughs> no raw meat. Really? You couldn't have raw flesh. Right? It was a guideline. It was a guideline. Wow. So you could show the kill shot seven times, not more than seven times, but you could not have a, a host have blood on his hands. So, like, our show's like an abattoir. I mean, our show's like a like a like a butcher. Yeah. Show sometimes. Like sometimes we'll have five minutes of butchering. So it's not like that I'm sort of, it's not like I'm going like, oh no, I don't want to show anything unsanitary here. It's just a personal thing to me that I just think it's not, it's just not that cool. And there's also like, sure, there's people that want to see it. But if I was in a business to just give viewers what I thought they wanted, I'd be like, I don't know, I would have gone into making like, uh, Lucky Charms breakfast cereal. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not here to like make Lucky Charms. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, sure, kids want cereal, lots of sugar. Let's just put more sugar in there and see if they like it better. It's like, in some way, I'm like, sure, you probably want to see a bunch of kill shot stuff. You're not going to find it here. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to like bow to your base instincts. And in some way, but again, there's a level of hypocrisy because when we're out, that's the only thing I ever make the guys play for me. <laughs> it's the only thing you want to rewatch. I just want to see. I'm like, what happened? Do you replay it seven times? Yeah, not eight times. Not eight. 
Especially if we're sitting there doing the old 45-minute wait before yeah. we track something, and I'm like dying. Wait, let me see it again. Let me see it again. Let me see it again. And we analyze it well, to find out a, what happened. As a hunter, I, I do the same thing because there's something that happens when you take a shot at an animal, and it's like almost instantly, unless that animal just takes a, a nosedive, almost instantly you start second-guessing yourself. Oh, the doubt. The you doubt. start doubting yourself. You start thinking of everything bad that could have possibly just happened. Just so when you rewatch it, because we do the same thing, I'm like, did I hit him? Where did I hit him? Where, did, where was it at? I mean, did I miss something in there? And so it like gives you that reassurance that I did make a good shot, or you didn't. You know? yeah. Have you ever hunted doll sheep? No. So there's all the stuff with like, what's a legal ram? Yeah. You, know, you can shoot a ram that, like in most of Alaska, you can shoot a ram that's eight years old, uh-huh. which you determine by growth rings. Which are very hard to see. Yeah, you can shoot a ram that's a double broom, which means he's broken off his lamb tips on each side, which is sometimes very obvious, sometimes like not at all obvious. Or you can shoot a ram that's full curl, means three hundred sixty degree curl mm-hmm. on his horn, which is sometimes very obvious, sometimes not obvious. You shoot a ram and he falls down. It is the worst moments of your life. Oh, the time it takes to walk over to that ram. Yeah. Or moose with the fifty inch, fifty inch tip to tip. Yeah, the worst minutes. I bet of life <laughs> with a camera rolling. It's even worse because I mean, even, you might entertain the idea of everyone just keeping quiet with a camera and stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah. What's at the end of the trail? <laughs> it's weird that you do that. It's, I don't know if it's human nature or, or what, but like before you pulled the trigger, you were yeah, you were sure enough to uh, shoot. Yeah, you were sure enough to shoot. But as soon as you do, it's like. All right, was that legal? <laughs> was that really what I thought I saw? All right, Yanni, what's your tip? Oh, man. Yanni's got too many tips. Too many. So many tips. I think uh, just a quick thought on the kill shot thing, because we do strive to get it, but I'm glad that it's, we don't have to hang our hat on it. We can make a show without a kill shot, no problem. Um, but for me personally, it's like so anticlimactic. I love to hunt. I love to chase. And it's like as soon even if that animal just fall dirt naps, you know, which is like a kind of a nasty way of saying like you just made a great shot and it just fell over, you know, dead right there in its tracks. But at that point, my hunt's over. You know, it's yeah. like now the work starts and like I'm not out chasing anymore. I'm not gonna go tomorrow morning, I'm not gonna even if I go hike the same ridge line, I'm not out hunting anymore unless I have more tags in my pocket. But you know what I mean? It's like even though you're you're just trying to get to that moment so hard, it's anticlimactic. Even as a producer, don't you just feel complete and utter relaxation <laughs> after it happens as a producer? It's different as a producer, but that was just my personal thought on yeah. kill shots. Um, tip, and this isn't just for someone trying to capture their hunt, but I think for people that are trying to maybe do a little bit more than just capture a hunt, whether it's full draw film too or you know something fun like that, is we see a lot of like people have putting too much effort into the beauty shots, I think, as opposed to like the basics that you were talking about. And that would be my tip. Like, don't worry about the sliders and the jibs and the cameras flying through trees and stuff. Like just work on documenting what's going on, I think would be my tip, you know, and try yeah, to be there was, and be ready. Leonard Skinner, um, one of the guys from Leonard Skinner once said, learn how to play a guitar, then get sexy. That's a good point. Uh, But I think, Giannis, you're referring to a heck of a lot of hunting videos that are beautifully shot, and then it's all VO, just kind of, they all kind of sound the same, sappy, like, oh, it's so beautiful to be in the woods in the fall. And like, you know, that's what comes in with going in without a story in mind. You're just going in and logging. It's like, 
People get in a situation where they just like log and log and log and log footage, and later they sit down and go like, okay, now I'm going to impose some logic upon this. Yeah. And it winds up being... Yeah. And it requires on-camera interaction, I think. I think what you're, you know, not to just shoot the beauty stuff, but it requires like hosting in a sense or something or interaction between people, you know, capturing the actual people in the action, not just them walking a path. Yeah. yeah. And not them checking in, you know, because that's almost at that point, it's, it's, it's a certain script because it's, the person's been thinking about what they're going to, you know, check in with at well, that but moment. But you can't you know? get away from checking in. You can't, but... You need to be getting that and, yeah. you know, just always be ready for when someone just starts talking and you're going, man, this is pretty cool. Like, I should be capturing this. Yeah, I agree. And I'd say if you're a camera guy, don't be your camera guy who says, I don't believe you. There's, there's no help coming through. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, that guy's kidding. fired. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like we can get away with a lot more or, or certain things that you really can on TV. You know what I mean? Like... I think a lot of times I watch YouTube videos and, you know, as serious as some of them try to be, and there's this interaction with the camera guy and the guy hunting. But that comes out of, I, that's, I think that's, it's a, great. that's a hunting TV thing. Yeah. You think it, you, it, it, it happens on TV? No, I think in hunting TV, there's a great amount of, there's like a tremendous amount of, traditionally, a tremendous amount of interaction between the, 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 the film, the filmer, the cameraman, and the hunter. Yeah. I think that there was a show for a while. The, sh- the premise of the show was a dude filming his wife hunting. Really? That was the, that was the plot. You know? I, I don't know why. I've often wondered, like, why that, why that world? Like, is it because it's so, is it just a manifestation of it being so difficult to capture the kind of stuff we're talking about in these uncontrolled environments where you don't know what's going to happen and, like, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty that you feel the tension of trying to capture it. And so as a way to buckle to that tension, you open it up and have it be a dialogue. You'll see stuff. I mean, like great shows. You see like, you'll hear the guy like, did you get that? And the guy will be all excited. And I don't know why they, the, the, that intrusion is so welcome. The, the term I learned is term just through production. They call it like breaking the fourth wall. So imagine like if you were filming this room right here, right? We got the three walls, but then this wall is where the camera's set up to break the fourth wall to turn and see what's here and um and we try to do it uh very carefully not very often yanni might have been before yanni was even doing what he was doing like yanni was just a gear packer you might have been the first wall break (laughs) spotting a grizzly in camp really and all of a sudden it was like it's kind of like remember talking about being adaptive to the story like yeah the camp is way more tense than there are people on camera like it's like we're filming out of this camp. There's a grizzly coming up into camp and we're like, did it. And, um, I think some people like it. There's a sense of camaraderie there, yeah. you know, but for me personally, um, I tend to not welcome that. I, I, and I don't know why it's, you know, like they do it in morning shows now and then they'll like, Joe, like the camera guys, you know, it'll be his birthday and yeah. he'll be like, hey, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it doesn't happen in most forms of media. Yeah. Have you seen that new show on NBC, The Island? Have you heard about this, where the camera guys were? I heard about uh, that. Our buddy from town here is on it, Rick, oh. Rick Smith. Is that right? Yeah. But totally blowing that whole concept, you know? Now the camera guys are the talent and are right yeah, he's there. he's a character. Yeah, he's a character. 
and yeah. one of the shooters. But is he actually shooting? Or is he just yeah. a character, oh, yeah, like no. a scripted-in character? No, actual shooting. Oh, so he's actually yeah. shooting. So he didn't just go cast people to act like camera guys. Oh, he's no. a camera guy. <laughs> The whole he's camera crew is cast. There's a level of cynicism in, in, in some television. Oh, yeah. And that's another, we're running out of time. That's another thing I want to talk about is just like um, grappling with uh, your grappling with your own relationship to the facts. Like what is your obligation? And it's a, it's a personal thing that everyone has to decide for themselves. What is your obligation with reality? What is your obligation to reality in what you present happening? And it's a tricky subject because we were talking earlier, we film hundreds of hours. Okay. And 22 minutes come out, you know, um, you're already making a huge judgment about what the trip was. You're saying the trip was this 22 minutes. Um, so you're already in some way, like, if you were, like, absolutely loyal, faithful to reality, even the editing process would be, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't do it because you're already, like, you're already putting a spin on it. Yeah. You know? And inevitably, because of issues of time, because of issues of what's, of interest to people, of what's palatable to people, of just making a quality product, you end up fudging things such as what day something happened on. We try to, we try hard to never, to not mess with the sort of integrity of, of, of something that happened. But we do. Like Monday, nothing might happen. But some, moments from monday might wind its way into tuesday yeah because it's not like toying with the it's not you're not like messing with you know the pristinity of the thing or you know you're just sort of making a product that's been our number one argument back i'd say since the beginning is is time and how we manage time on the show and and how it's hard to make an eight-day hunt where not much happened stay compelling the storyline the entire time when you could you know fudge a bit and and just show four days yeah so and i mean you're trying to like nod and like trying to nod to the passage of time yeah because it's like we have a thing too it's like if it didn't happen on film it didn't happen if it didn't happen on film forget it we're not going to talk about it it just didn't happen so yeah, it winds up being, and, and I always walk that line. When we were doing Wild Within on Travel Channel, there was tremendous pressure coming from all directions to just BS. Bullshit. Really? Tremendous pressure. And um, now, you talk about freedom, like, now we have freedom from the pressure to bullshit, but at the end of the day, it's also it's like you're trying to like do something. And to capture the essence of it, maybe to capture the essence of it, you do at times mess with chronology. Yeah. You know? We don't borrow dead animals from people. No. I hope not. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I don't know. know. I guess that's, every, we, we bat, that's one of the primary things we battle about. It's, that's a good question. I guess there's a fine line like, you know, want to tell i've always tell people like the realest stuff is the best to me like that's what it excites me and and uh you can see through the bs i think yeah. and so we've always like we were talking earlier like 
I ne- we never go back and reshoot shots or anything like that. Is that right? But, yeah. yeah, we. That's it, a, it's a hard decision. It it's is a bold decision. I mean, and we could make a lot better quality content if we could go back and redo this kill shot or whatever. You know, you could make a better, higher quality video. But for us, it's about the reality of it. Like, if I was to do that, I would go back and watch that video in a year from now, and and I would hate it. I would hate that video because I knew it. And but like what you're saying about maybe Monday bleeds into Tuesday and Wednesday, you know, I think maybe yeah we fall we we fall into that like yeah oh yeah like for example the bear hunt we just put out you know we sat in the same stand for four nights so say I needed a clip on that third night of you know Casey climbing the tree stand that I didn't necessarily film on the third night but he did the exact same thing on the second night, I can pull you know, three or four yeah. seconds of him climbing up the tree stand just to tie in that story a little bit better. But we do try to keep it as real and as raw as, as possible. But yeah, like piecing together the story, if you have that clip you need from two days before, I, I still think that's okay. Yeah, even like what you're saying with the bear thing, like let's say you hunted four nights. You go, let's just make it all one night, but every bear we saw came that night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to look like an amazing... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, we could have done that. that. We could be the like, kind of thing where one we crazy would be like, yeah, bear I don't know, that's that's a little bit, you know. <laughs> well, not not in our case. We saw the same five bears every night. Yeah, so <laughs> it would have been the same thing. <laughs> it would have been the same five bears with just different lighting. Different but, lighting. No, I, I, we try to keep it real, but like things like that, I don't think it takes away from the realness. No. But it like you know, it's like B roll footage. Is yeah. you can kind of use that anywhere. It's just like what you're talking about meeting somebody. And it's so awkward, but now you guys go into B-roll with the VO, and it's not so awkward. It looks good, but but like when you're shaking that hand, Dodie's not really out there, you know, shooting B-roll of the scenery or of Bob or whoever. Yeah. So I, I don't think it takes away the realness of it. But uh. But you know what you get into is like this. We we have a thing of you get a concluding thought. That's gonna be my concluding thoughts for dragging on. Um. You know, you're watching Wiley Coyote, Roadrunner Wiley Coyote, right? You're accepting all this stuff, you know, but then you see something that you don't, that's just like outlandish. It's like, okay, you're already accepting that like coyotes and roadrunners have, you know, that they have communication and mail order from Acme. It's like the suspension of disbelief, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that anyone who sits down to watch TV in this day and age um, knows they're watching product. You know, you're watching, yes, you're watching product. You're watching something edited. Generally, like, if a guy's out alone in the woods, I think that most viewers are savvy enough to be like, he's not out alone in the woods. I had a guy one time say to me, I can't believe the places you go alone. <laughs> it's like, well, you just, I mean, you're referring to a show you watch, and clearly some dudes are shooting that show. You know, so there's yeah. like that, like, we're filming, you know. Um, but within that, Within that suspension of disbelief, I do think that you do have some obligation. There's still obligations to the viewer. Some people live free of that, and those people go into reality television. Some people um, don't live free of that and and have that that guilt or that problem or whatever's going on in their head, or they feel some fidelity to reality. Um, I struggle with it every day, and I've tended to over time to to feel that fidelity grow you know the interest in the truth to to increase rather than diminish um 
that's my concluding thought. Dan? My concluding thought is a challenge to the greater uh, hunting community to step up the collective game of the quality of their video and storytelling ability because I think it, it says a lot to the wider world, um, you know, what the hunting story is. If, it, if it's told really terribly with bad camera work and bad stories, I, I challenge everybody to learn the craft and get real good and, and make hunting something that uh, – doesn't look like a bunch of dorks in the woods that don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that it's as beautiful as it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I guess I'll I'll chime in with with what Dodie's saying is not only uh, you know good quality you know tells a good story but honesty like we've been talking about and I really feel like a huge uh, um, supporter of people sh- filming things that open the eyes of maybe non-hunters and people that maybe don't know exactly what we do and capture those moments and share them because the reason most people don't enjoy what, what we do and don't believe in in hunting is because they're uneducated and they just don't understand. And by us filming what we do and telling it the honest, true story, it's open. It's really opened their eyes. And those are the comments I love reading more than anything. Yeah, is the people that were anti-hunters, were vegetarians that they hated hunting before, and they watched our first video and they're hooked. And they might not ever become hunters, but they understand what we do now, and that's through good storytelling. And I want to say good quality content, which you know. We, we can get away with not everything being perfect on YouTube, but, I mean, we do a really good job telling, telling an honest story, I think. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of people like watching the channel, just because of the realness. And just showing people how much passion we have for what we do, I mean, how much respect we have for the animals and the land they live in, and kind of sending that message through our videos is one thing that we like to do is just showing that we're out there having fun. This is something that we love. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just fun to share it with people. I want to change my concluding thought that to be that everyone should needs to go buy one of Yanni's Hunt to Eat t-shirts. Nice. That means I get to change mine because I was going to finally have to plug <laughs> my own shit. But now you guys, have do you guys own a Hunt to Eat t-shirt? I don't, but I'm gonna Brian start does. Let, oh, Brian does? You know, guy who, Hey, by the way, I don't know, we don't know when this episode will air, but today we have Montana Hunt to Eat shirts live. You can go buy them. Which is apropos to the fact that's that we're awesome. here in Montana. Mm. I'll, point out, I'll point out that Giannis is not a paid sponsor. <laughs> not at all. My plus, if I buy a shirt today, it will be a paid sponsor. No, I'm saying that. Oh, you're right. That, uh, it's like... I'm not being bought and sold here. Okay. I get nothing. <laughs> I want to know. I get diddly squat. When's the Idaho? For making sure that Hunt to Eat is a thriving t-shirt business and that Yanni becomes a t-shirt magnate that your I'll children say, will read about, that your children will watch <laughs> videos about on YouTube. There you go. I, I, I've seen that shirt floating around social media. I love that shirt. You yeah. should do an unboxing video of your shirt. Now. Yeah. It comes Ooh, in a nice plastic wrapping. <laughs> Let's open the bag. Ooh, they feel the But you gotta, you gotta change it up so you're not like every other unboxing. Like unbox with your feet, and then it will be a little bit different <laughs> yeah. than the, the rest. I'll of have them. a cat unbox. There you shirt. go. Oh my gosh, that's a viral cat video. with a double rainbow unboxing shirt. That's a viral YouTube video. Now I want you. To, you get two concluding thoughts because I want to hear the plug you were gonna give. <laughs> I just gave it, man. I got Montana hunting shirts. Were you shirts. really gonna use your concluding thought to plug your t-shirt business? <laughs> of course not. Oh. 
No, I I didn't get to talk about the difference between hunting alone and hunting, you know, with the camera crew. So I was just going to touch on that because it never got around to me earlier. So either way, he wears the hunt to eat T-shirt. Yeah, especially during podcasts <laughs> on camera. It's a or good, not, it's a good reminder. Um, I relish the quiet. We still get it because we do a good job, I think, of remembering to. That's why we're out there, you know, hunting and to get those quiet moments. And I think when everybody sees our upcoming Coos Deer episode, that's going to really come through because we just like hung out in the quiet for four days and enjoyed that. But I always look forward to going out on my own hunts without, you know, the crew just because I like just sitting there and just not not talking to anybody, just listening to the birds and the wind. Yeah. And you've sacrificed a lot of that being in the line of work that we're talking about here what well, you guided a lot and so guiding is probably not that quiet yep There's guiding time. elk hunters yep. is probably not that There's... quiet but you sacrificed a lot of your what would be alone time in the woods in order to get in a way to get more time in the woods but it's different time you know it's been a good good sacrifice so does that count as my concluding thought no, you still get a concluding thought that doesn't count no, it's good. I miss my quiet hunts. <laughs> oh, that's that's a good thought. <laughs> All right, buy one of Yanni's shirts. He misses his quiet hunts. Um, Casey, do a final like give give everybody a rundown how to find. Go to youtube.com slash hushing with Levere, or just type in get hushing, um, and it will come up. And go but check if someone out. Someone just goes to YouTube and types in hushing. What happens? It will come up. Spell hushing. H u s h i n. Hushin. Yeah, go just type in uh, Hushin in the YouTube browser. Come up, go watch some of our, our videos. They're good. What's the best? Like, if you could have people watch one, what would you have them watch? Um, I shot the a fire, video. Oh, not the, not the, the fireball. Fire it's too long. No, I would. I'm not trying to plug our channel. I'm trying to plug Eric here. Like, it's one of the most amazing hunting videos I'm asking you to plug I've ever seen. Like, um, he he captured the whole the whole story, and it's an amazing story he told about it. Go watch the Fireball Hunt. There's a couple of videos I, I'm really passionate about. I did my it took my son on his first hunt. Not he wasn't hunting. He was with me on an antelope hunt last year, and it worked. It just was an awesome hunt. And uh, there's a couple of them. Go go watch all of them. How many do you have? I think there's a hundred now. We're close to Pushing it. Pushing a hundred. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so go, go watch them. Go yeah. Type in Hush, and you'll get the whole smorgasbord. Yeah. If you got 22 minutes to kill. Yeah. And you've watched every meat eater that was ever made. I, I have, first. Type I, in the fire bowl. I have one request. If you click on a video, you've got to watch the whole thing, though. <laughs> no, no skipping. Once you click, you're committed, dude. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't skip the, pre, the pre-roll ads. That's how we make our money. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so is all, does all your stuff, Eric, all your stuff lives on Hush? Yeah. The most, for the most part, yeah. No, most no. of my videos, as of recent, all of my videos re- recently are on the Hushin channel. And these boys, get this, make a living making hunting videos on YouTube. Yeah. I should have said that at the top of the damn yeah. podcast. I think we kind of covered that. But that would not be what we talked about earlier, right? Do you want Systematically? That, do you want people to know that a fella can just go out and make hunting videos and make a living? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I like, keep that people, my hat. people think I like, it's like this hidden secret I'm trying to hide from. I want everyone to do it. I want, I want you to go and make videos on YouTube. I want everyone to go to YouTube and make hunting videos because it just makes it powerful, more powerful, brings more eyeballs. But uh, yeah, and I don't have TV, so it's hard for me to watch your TV show. 
Well, we're so about start, to stream it. Start putting that stuff on the on YouTube. It, listen, go no. Tell me the best way to stream your your show. Meeater.vhx.tv. Perfect. And we all day long. We're gonna put a whole bunch of vid, more videos on YouTube in the near future. We're, we're cutting a whole hundred or so episode series of how to tips. It's gonna go on the meat eater how to. With the whole yeah. meat eater, like a ton of people, like loosely affiliated people you've seen on episodes, just like a ton of people doing it. Cool. Yeah, I love that stuff. I mean, I've watched all, all, most everything on that channel. Behind the scenes stuff, it's fun. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Bozeman, Montana. Um, watch some hushing. Watch the fire bowl. He, get, he kills it in the end. You <laughs> <laughs> ruined it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for joining. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. From backyard plinking to serious training to big game hunting, Airguns.com has what you need. Umarex offers the most diverse lineup of air guns, from traditional BB and pellet guns to cutting edge rifles that fire, get this, 50 caliber slugs or even broadhead tipped arrows. Umarex Airguns has led the way with innovative products designed to get the job done. Whether you're hunting whitetails, feral hogs, iguanas, squirrels, rabbits, or even elk or bison, humorexairguns.com is your source for the best air-powered rifles and pistols. Visit humorexairguns.com today. That's humorexairguns.com.